Church of God, this is the Word of God, Romans chapter 6, verses 12 through 18. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin, having become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become Slaves of righteousness. Can we say amen together, church? I'm going to resist the temptation to have you right now. Turn to your neighbor and greet them. Take a seat. Glad all of you are here this morning. And uh, let me encourage you right now, if you brought your Bibles with you, take it with me, turn it on, turn with me to Romans chapter 6 as we look at this great passage today about victory in Christ Jesus. We're in the midst of our series entitled, Holy Redeemed, looking at what it means to be redeemed in Christ Jesus. And I want to start this morning by recounting a date to you. And you tell me what happened on this date, church, okay? June 6th, 1944. What happened on that day? D-Day, D-Day, 76 years ago this week, June 6, 1944. On that day, Operation Overlord is what it was called, the Allied forces, including England and America, landed 200,000 soldiers on the beaches of France. That operation utilized 1,000 ships. It was the largest naval armada ever. And when those soldiers landed on the beaches and set up that beachhead, the war against Germany was fundamentally over at that point. Germany couldn't win a two-front war. They had already bled out in Russia the year before. Churchill, Eisenhower, Roosevelt, and all the others knew that if we successfully landed our troops in mass on those beaches on June 6th, the war would be won. And we did. And we won. But here's the thing. Those soldiers still had to fight those battles. Those generals in World War II, Patton, Mark Clark, Montgomery, they still had to strategize for victory. The battle still had to be fought. Even though the war was fundamentally over, the victory still needed to be, and this is the key word I want y'all to hear this morning, appropriated by the military. Here's where I'm going with this this morning. It's, it's not a perfect analogy. Analogies are never perfect. Your Christian life, everybody listening? I have your attention this morning. Your Christian life is lived 
between June 6, 1944 and May 8, 1945. What happened on May 8, 1945? Do you know? I heard Victory in Europe Day. That is correct. V-E Day. Your Christian life is lived between D-Day and V-E Day. D-Day is your salvation. You got saved. The victory was won. We sang about that already. But we still await Christ's return. And you know what? They're still fighting. And there's still counterstrikes by the enemy. That will continue until Christ returns or until you die, whichever comes first. You got saved at such and such date, whatever date that is. You're going to die at such and such date in the future. Or Christ is going to come back at such and such date in the future. I don't know when that's going to be. Don't ask me. I don't know. In between those two dates, your salvation, Christ's return, your salvation and your death, that's where we live. That's where we are right now. We fight and we scrap and we battle and we follow Christ. And we, wreck, we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. That's what we're called to do. Are y'all with me this morning? I know the weather's beautiful outside and you're thinking about being outside right now. Be, be with me right now here, okay? We're fighting this battle, the battle that's called sanctification in our, in our lives right now. You fight the battle against anger. Anybody got anger right now this morning? You, you fight the battle against envy in your heart. You fight the battle against lust in your heart. You fight the battle against racism. In all of our hearts, we fight this battle until we die or until Christ comes back. And thank God, VE Day is assured. Christ is coming back. Our victory has been won. But it hadn't happened yet, Christ's return. Not yet. And so right now, we are appropriating Christ's victory in our life. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about victory in Christ Jesus, church. How do we experience that victory? Let's talk about the power of Christ Jesus experienced in our lives. Remember now, okay, I want you all to get this. If there's anything I want you all to get from Romans 5 and 6, it's this. Justification, sanctification, glorification, okay? Justified. When you were justified, the penalty of sin was broken in your life. As you're being sanctified, the power of sin is being broken. In glorification, the presence of sin will be broken forever in your life. We find ourselves right now, church, in the phase. I'm really tired of that word phase, okay? We find ourselves right now in the realm of sanctification, in between justification and glorification. Everybody with me? And the power of sin is being continually broken in our lives. So let's talk about that. Three things. Here's number one this morning. Last week I gave you three R's. This week I'm going to give you three S's, okay? Next week it'll probably be three T's. I don't know yet. We experience Jesus' power in our lives as we, number one, stop letting sin reign over us. Paul says this. Let's pay attention now together. Harvest Decatur, verse 12. Paul says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body. Last week I told you that I highlight Greek uh, verbs, commands, pink in my Bible. Did y'all hear me say that last week? What color do you think this word reign is in my Greek Bible? 
It's pink. This is a command. Let not this happen, church. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You know, every, every once in a while, I run across these people that come up, and, and, and the, the way they talk, you can just hear it. It's like, grace, 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 grace. And they, they don't believe in hell. They don't believe in sin. They don't, they don't think that there's a real battle going on. It's just grace, 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 grace. And, and I think to myself, whatever you're talking about is not biblical grace. It's tolerance. We just tolerate each other, and we just tolerate things, and we just tolerate biblical grace. People of God has heft. It has power and strength to change our lives. The same grace that saved you changes you. Right? Can I get an amen on that? The same grace that saved you changes you. And if it's not changing you, you got to wonder, did it really save you? Are you really saved by grace? Do you really understand grace? I mean, that's why Paul, Paul's all about grace. He's all about grace. He's going to mention it in verse 14. But the Paul who's all about grace can also give you an order like this, like to a soldier, do not let sin reign in your body. Don't do that, Christian. Grace is power, not just pardon. Grace is power, not just pardon. Here's another command in verse 13. If you have a pink highlighter, highlight this in pink. If you want to use another more authoritative color, go right ahead. Paul says, verse 13, do not present, do not offer your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Here's what you got to say every day, Harvesticator. You got to say every day to the Lord, here's my mind, Lord. This, this is my instrument used for your purpose. Here, here's my heart, Lord. Here's my emotions. Here are my affections. Use these for good and not evil. Use this for righteousness and not evil. Here are my hands, Lord. Use them for good and not evil. Here are my feet. Here is my brain. Here are my sexual organs. Use them for good and not evil. Use them for righteousness and not unrighteousness. You know who you are, Christian? You know who you are? You are Wyatt Earp. That's who you are. Y'all know who Wyatt Earp is? Of course y'all know who Wyatt Earp is. Wyatt Earp was born in Illinois. We all know who he is. Wyatt Earp, and I'm not just saying this because I have a bandana around my neck this morning. (laughs) Wyatt Earp was one of the most famous gunslingers in the American West And I'll just tell you, he used to be a menace to society. He was a criminal and he was troubled. But later in life, nobody really knows why. He turned and he changed and he became a law-abiding citizen. And he started protecting people instead of harassing them. And he started enforcing the law instead of violating it. Let me say it this way. Wyatt Earp presented the members of his body as instruments for righteousness instead of unrighteousness. That's you, Christian. You are Wyatt Earp. When you come to Christ, you take your six shooters out of your holster and you set them down. You take your shotgun out of your saddlebag and you lay it down. You take your spurs off and you lay it down. You take your horse and you lay it down. You say, this is for you, God. All that I am, this is for you. Use it for your purposes. In fact, Romans 12, later in this book, 
Paul says it's not you just don't use your instinct. You use your whole body. You are a living sacrifice for God. Take my whole life, Lord, and use it for your purposes. You are like Abraham in the Old Testament. God says, Abraham, Abraham. You know what Abraham says? Here I am. What do you need, God? I'm here for you. I serve you. You are my God. You are my shield. Whatever you need, I'm here for you. Now, does that mean, Christian, you surrender to the Lord? Does that mean that you always do the right thing all the time? No, no. You're Wyatt Earp, okay? You still have a gunslinger's mentality. We still have sin in our heart that we're dealing with, that we're struggling with. If you always did the right thing after you became a Christian, if you never battled with sin, then Paul wouldn't have to give you this command in verse 13. Paul knows us. He knows himself. And so he says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Don't do that anymore. By the way, if I could just go back to the World War II analogy for a second. In between D-Day and V-E Day, there was this great German counteroffensive. You know what it was called? The Battle of the Bulge. And 75,000 Americans lost their lives in that great German counteroffensive. That was the last time the Germans really had uh, a positive offensive movement. They were trying to, to, to cut in half the Allied forces. They were trying to get to the ocean. They were trying to reassert, reassert their authority. It didn't work. It didn't work. And actually, they were much easier to neutralize after the Battle of the Bulge. But they, they, they took some lives. They did some things. Is Satan going to score a few counterstrikes in your life as you follow Christ, as you wait for Christ to return? Yes. Are we going to make mistakes as we follow Christ Jesus? Yes, we are. Does that mean that Jesus' ultimate victory is any less certain or definite? No. No, it does not. And that gives us hope to press on even when we do lose the occasional battle with sin. So the power of Jesus Christ is experienced in our lives as we stop letting sin reign over us. That's the negative side of the message. That's the prohibition. Stop doing this. When I was a kid, it was, you know, stop doing drugs or just say no. The problem is they didn't give us anything positive to go for. People were like, well, I like smoking weed. It makes me happy. There's no positive thing to move forward. Christianity can't just be prohibition. I want to give you something better as well. Stop doing this and start doing this, okay? You've got to turn away from this. You've got to turn towards this. Everybody with me? Here's what we're turning towards. Number two, we submit our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Here's the prohibition. Here's the prohibition before the exhortation. Paul says, verse 13, do not present the members of your body as instruments for unrighteousness. But Paul doesn't stop there. It can't just be a defensive battle. He says, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. By the way, that word instruments here in verse 13, it can also be translated weapons. It's the Greek word for weapons. It's the Greek word hoplon, which oftentimes is even in the New Testament translated weapons or armor. If you're thinking to yourself, man, Pastor Tony has a lot of military analogies today. Well, yeah, I'm just following Paul's lead here, okay? Paul says, so let me read it this way, verse 13. If you have your Bibles, follow along with me here. Paul says, do not present your members to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. 
But present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as weapons for unrighteousness. In other words, you Wyatt Earps out there, you take your six shooters and you put them back in your holster. You take a shotgun, you put it back in the saddle and you mount up for Jesus Christ. And you use your instruments for good purposes instead of bad. You take your mind and you make it obedient to Christ and you use it for Christ. You take your hands and you use them in service of Christ. You take your heart and you worship Jesus with all that you are. And you sing songs of worship to him like you used to sing songs about drinking and sex and all kinds of other stuff. You use these things that God has given you for righteousness, not unrighteousness. You use your tongue. Your tongue. Can your tongue be used for evil? Yes, it can. Can your tongue be used for unrighteousness? Yes, it can. Maybe you used to use your tongue to insult people and tear people down. It made you feel better about yourself for a while. It gave you cachet and it gave you credibility before the world. But now you use your tongue to encourage people. Now you use your tongue to tell people about Jesus. Now you use your tongue as an instrument for righteousness, not unrighteousness. I could keep going with this. You use your hands for righteousness. You use your feet for righteousness. You use your mouth for righteousness. You use your sexual organs for God's glory and for God's greater purposes. I love that song that we sing by Phil Wickham. It goes like this. He writes, take these hands. I know they're empty, but with you they can. Be used for beauty in your perfect plan. All I am is yours. Take these feet. I know they stumble, but you use the weak. You use the humble, so please use me. All I am is yours. That song echoes that other great song from Frances Havergal. She wrote, take my life and let it be. Consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow in ceaseless praise. Paul says, present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness every day, Christian. You do this every day. Why, Pastor Tony, why do we do this? Verse 14, here's your why. For sin will, no, will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace. Now that's a fascinating statement right there, verse 14. You mean being under grace, Pastor Tony, actually makes us more serious about sin than when we weren't under grace? You mean grace actually propels us forward into righteousness and holiness? Yeah, I didn't say it. That's what Paul is saying here. And the reason it's more powerful than the law is because the law condemns us. We can't do it good enough. And eventually we just quit. Like, I can't do this. But grace, even when we fail, we experience God's grace and it propels us forward. It's more powerful than the law in that way. We don't fight against sin in order to earn God's favor. That would be a fool's errand. We fight against sin because we have God's favor. 
right. We are the children of God. We are the sons and daughters of the living God. God hates sin. I want to be like daddy. God opposes sin. I want to be like that too. I'm not perfectly like my father in heaven. But I strive to be that way. Now to that, I want to, I want to be honest with this. You know, Don mentioned small groups, his involvement. Why do we have small groups? Why do we, why do we, why do we gather for church? Why do we have things like accountabilities? Because we need help with this. This is hard. This is the Christian life. I want VE Day to come today. I'm tired of fighting sin. It gets hard. That's why we need each other. That's why we depend upon each other. That's why God gave us the church. And to all this, you might say, okay, Pastor Tony, but why is it so hard sometimes? Why is victory over sin such a struggle? You might say, I feel like every day in my life is the battle of the bulge, Pastor Tony. Satan's winning constantly. There's counter strikes all the time. What do I do about that? Well, here, that's number three. We experience Jesus' power in our lives as we three. Here's the third S. We surrender. We surrender to the teaching of Scripture. We renew our minds, as Paul says later in Romans chapter 12. We are transformed by the renewal of our minds. That's got to come from our engagement with Scripture. Stuart Briscoe, he tells a story about when he was in the military. He was actually drafted into the Royal Marines in England. While he was serving in the Marines, he had this drill sergeant that everybody, everybody in his battalion was, was terrified of. And every time this drill sergeant showed up, everybody would you know, stand to attention. and you know, They'd start to panic in their minds, actually, about are their boots clean enough? Are their barracks clean enough? Are, are they standing at the right attention? Is there anything that he's going to find that's wrong on their person right now? Because if it was, he's going to ream them or he's going he's to terrorize them in front of everybody. Everybody was terrified of this person. And this terror persisted as long as Briscoe, Briscoe was in the Marines. Well, eventually, Briscoe got discharged, and he became a civilian, like the rest of us. But one day after he was discharged from the Marines, he was approached by that old drill sergeant. And what do you think he did? It's like force of habit. You know, stand at attention. Sir, yes, sir. But then it occurred to him as he's saluting this, this drill sergeant, he no longer has authority over him anymore. He's not in the military anymore. He doesn't serve him anymore. And that, that terror can subside. That change can take place. Listen, Harvest Decatur, when you, when you turn your life over to Jesus Christ, you've got a new master now. You've got a new boss. And so when sin comes a-knocking in your life, you know, some of us, I think, too much of us, we're like Pavlov's dog. We're start salivating. Instead of saying in that moment, you no longer rule over me. You no longer are in charge of me. Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, not sin. Paul says this in verse 15. He says, what then? Here's a rhetorical question from Paul. You know, be careful when Paul asks rhetorical questions. It's like a trap. He's setting you up, okay? Watch yourself. 
What then, says Paul, are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? He's building on verse 14, right? You might say, oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I think so, Paul, yeah. What does Paul say about that? I've told you all this before. This is the strongest way in Greek to deny something. Meganoita is what Paul says here. Absolutely not. By no means. Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Uh Uh-uh, says Paul. Absolutely not. That, That is Rasputin theology, not Pauline theology, to think that way. Paul says instead, do you not know? Here's another rhetorical question. That if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. Who's your master, Harvest Decatur? Who are you going to serve? You're going to serve somebody. Bob Dylan was right. You've got to serve somebody. You're going to serve somebody. Is it, is it sin? And the question here is, is it going to be sin and death, or is it going to be Christ and righteousness? What are you going to serve? Well, I'm going to serve Christ Jesus, Pastor Tony. But I I still sin sometimes. I still struggle. I still think sometimes that sin is my master. I still get tempted. I still get tricked like Adam and Eve got tricked in the garden. Why is that? Here's why. Here's another great analogy. This is from the 20th century preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones. Actually, I, I practiced this analogy on my small group on Thursday night, and they gave me a thumbs up to use this, so good. My small group, sometimes they're like, they're like my, my vaccination trial group, okay? Just seeing if it works, and they're like, they liked this, so here you go. This is small group approved. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he tells us to imagine ourselves in a field. We're born into this field. And we live in this field, and this field is owned by sin. All of us are born this way. And in England, where Martin Lloyd-Jones is from, all the fields are surrounded by these tall uh, rock fences. And so just imagine you're in this field, you're in the field of sin, you were born into this field, and you can't get out of it because it's enclosed by this rock fence. Okay, so you're stuck there. All of a sudden, the God of this world takes you out of that field and removes you like, you know, like a Wii character on your Wii video system, video game system, and drops you into a new field. And now in this new field, your master is no longer sin. Your master is Jesus Christ. You belong to him. And by the way, there are rocks around that field too. You can't get out. He's got you. You are, you are, you are in his field. You belong to him. You're going to be okay right there, okay? But it's right next door to this field where Satan and sin live and Satan can still call out to you from the field next door and say hey remember me remember who you belong to remember how good sin was remember how satisfying it was remember how how good it was when you lived with me in this field and sometimes we're tempted by that and we fall you used let me say it this way You used to be a tadpole, folks. Now we're bullfrogs. You used to be a caterpillar. And now you're a butterfly. 
Can, can a butterfly go, go back to being a caterpillar? No, you belong to Jesus now. We used to sing that song when I was a little kid, you know, bullfrogs and butterflies. Y'all remember that song? Didn't y'all sing that? Both been born again. It's a, it's a corny song. But it's so good. We have been born again. We live in the field of Jesus Christ. So stop listening to Satan calling out from the other field. Paul says this in verse 17. He says, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin. I used to be a slave to sin. Not anymore. You who used to be a slave to sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. How is the power of Jesus experienced in our lives? How is the power of Jesus appropriated in our lives? Three things, church, three S's. We stop letting sin reign over us. We submit our bodies as instruments of righteousness and we surrender to the standard of of teaching. We surrender to the teaching of Scripture. We are obedient to the heart. We are obedient from the heart, this is how Paul says it, to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. What is the standard of teaching? What's Paul talking about there in verse 17? Well, the Greek word here for standard is the word to pause. It's, it's the type, the type of teaching, the form of teaching. We are becoming what we believe. We are becoming like who we believe in, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's like that Rich Mullins song, Long ago, I did not make it. No, it is making me. It is the very truth of God, not the invention of any man. We are being formed. We are being changed. We are being sculpted by the truth of Scripture. Listen, Harvest Decatur, I've been talking about soldiering a lot here. You are a soldier of Christ Jesus. You are. But you are also God's masterpiece. You are also... God's workmanship, he's working in you and he's refining you and taking away your edges and making something beautiful of you. That's the glory of sanctification. I know we can be really sad and say, come Lord Jesus, I can't wait till you come, but right now God is doing something in your life and it's beautiful. Paul says in Ephesians chapter two, verse 10, he says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are a work of art, Christian. Jesus said himself, he said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me, do you believe in Jesus? Is he your savior? Whoever believes in me, says Jesus, will also do the works that I do. We're becoming like Jesus. And greater works than these will he do. Because I am going to the Father. John 14, verse 12. You know, that statement has always puzzled me. Just read that on the screen. Is that puzzling to you? I've always thought, like, why did, why did Jesus say that? Did he make a mistake? Did, he, did John make a mistake in the, what he recorded there? We will do greater works than Jesus? What? I can't raise the dead. Can you raise the dead? I can't walk on water. What is he talking about? What does Jesus mean by that? I, here's what I think Jesus meant by that. Have y'all ever wondered this? 
I think he's referencing quantity, not quality here. I think he's referencing the church as a whole through 2,000 years of church history. I think he's referencing the work that sinful, wicked people like you and me are able to do. Jesus doing awesome, righteous things throughout his life, that's not that surprising. He's God. Of course he does that. But you and me, wicked sinners that we are, doing amazing, Christ-honoring, Christ-imitating things, that's amazing. How does that happen? How does God do that in me? Pastor Tony, I can't raise the dead. I can't walk in water. How do I do the works of Jesus? Okay, I can't do that either. Don't ask me to. But can you edify another believer with your gift of the Holy Spirit? Let's say the gift of hospitality. That's amazing that God wants to use you and God can use you in that way. Can you teach and harvest kids by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of you? That's amazing. Can you help a brother or sister in need with your gift of service or with your gift of mercy by the power of the Holy Spirit? Can you advocate for justice and for righteousness in this world and be a beacon of hope in this world? That's powerful, church. Can you go, can you become an instrument of righteousness instead of an instrument of unrighteousness? That's amazing. Here's my point. Jesus didn't die on the cross and save us from sin so that we could turn around and indulge our flesh every chance that we get. Jesus gave us new life. He took us away from slavery to sin so that we could be slaves to righteousness. This is what we're called to, and it's good. Sin was a cruel slave master. But Jesus' yoke is easy, and his burden is light. And we we are not just God's servants, we are God's masterpiece. His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And as we, here's the point of number three. As we surrender to Christ's teaching and to the truth of God's word, God refines us. And God purifies us. And we are formed into the image of our Savior. And it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I've been here long enough. This is not in my notes. I'm talking off the cuff, so this is dangerous. I've been here now 12 years as the pastor of this church. Two years in Arthur, 10 plus years in Decatur. I've seen y'all change. I've seen the masterpiece that you all are becoming at all different stages of life, at all different ages. I hope y'all seen that in me too. The changes. Only God does that. It's amazing. And he's not done. He's not done with us. Amen. He's still working on us. Close with this. 
I want to close with a poem, one of my favorite ones. If you don't like this poem that I'm about to read, please don't tell me. It'll hurt my feelings. I love this poem because I think it encapsulates what God is doing in each of our lives and how he's transforming us in this, this realm of sanctification. And every time I prepare a message, every time I get ready to preach God's word, my deepest desire is for God to do what's in this poem in each of our lives. Okay? So here it is. The poem's entitled, When God Wants to Drill a Man. When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, when God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part, when he yearns with all his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed, watch his methods, watch his ways. How he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay, which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses, and with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. People of Harvest Decatur, each of you is a soldier for Christ Jesus right now, serving on his behalf, laboring on his behalf, but you are also a masterpiece. You are also God's workmanship. And he is working you, working you, working you, refining you. And it's good. And it's good. And I pray that it would continue. What can you do to help in that process? What can you do to even expedite that? Here's what you do. You surrender. Here's my life, Lord. Here's my life. Here's my hands, here's my mind, here's my heart, here's my soul, here's my whole being. Use it for your purposes, Lord. Use it for your purposes. We're going to sing. We're going to sing a song that prays that right now, but bow with me in a word of prayer as our worship team comes. Wherever you are right now, I want to invite you to just Hold your hands out. I want you to symbolize right now with your posture. You're surrendering to the Lord. I don't know how many days I have left on this planet. I don't know how many days you have. Some probably have more than others. But I want to encourage you with arms stretched out right now.
to offer up your life to the Lord. The rest of your days. All of your talents, all of your abilities. Your mind, your heart, your strength. And tell the Lord to take it and use it for his purposes. Jesus Christ, we are your servants. Servants of righteousness, not unrighteousness. We serve you, not sin. God, we offer up our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly acceptable before you. Use them for your purposes. Transform us, Lord, daily by the renewal of our minds, by the truth of your word, I pray. Keep doing that work in our lives. And God, we do pray while we wait God, that we would represent you well before this world. And we do pray boldly, Lord. Can we pray this? Come, Lord Jesus. Come soon.